Welcome to the first meeting of 2021, January 14th, Science Fiction Club meeting, and Alan Lemley has the floor. Thanks, Evan. Uh, we had a meeting yesterday of the uh, various facilitators for the book groups, and the, the main purpose of the meeting is y'all y'all know that all these meetings have been recorded, you know, for, for a number of years, but they've been recorded and they've been placed on either the Accessible World website or the Radio Out of the Past website for the radio programs. And those things were available for people that went out to find them. Maybe not quite as available as you are now because we're, we're now submitting our recordings to various podcast directories. So all, all a podcast directory is is like a, a, a service like, like Apple Podcasts, for instance, that takes all of your podcast locations and makes them readily available to all these people that are doing podcasting now. Uh, so just, ju just be aware when, when you're in one of these meetings that you're being recorded, you know, be, be careful what you say about saying personal information. I'm not, I'm not saying make the thing boring and don't ever say anything about yourself and stuff, but just be aware that the things being recorded, they're available on these podcast directors. They're probably only, 20 something a month being downloaded. I think that was the number he looked up for fiction old and new when Michelle asked at the meeting yesterday. So these things aren't being snatched and grabbed by everybody and their brother and stuff, but just be aware they're, they're more available now because somebody going around a podcast director, you, you can go to a podcast director. Like I use overcast on my iPhone. I can type the word accessible world with a space between it and every accessible world program book group that's out there is listed and I can subscribe to them in about five minutes. It, it, it's real easy and real easy to get the stuff. So I, I just want everybody to be aware that the stuff is, is, is more available uh, because of these podcast directories than, than it might've used to have been. So that that's all I wanted to say. So uh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so don't you. put out your social security <laughs> number and. Yeah. I mean, I mean, your... You shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. I mean, you right. Know, of course. I'm and, just... and everybody here does. So, you know, uh, but you know, it, it doesn't hurt to review this kind of stuff, and I, I, I'm making an effort to say it at, at all these book groups just to, to remind folks. And, and, and some people are just, you know, some people are just shy about, uh, you know, wanting to be recorded. And if you tell them that a lot of people are, you know, might have the ability to see it, but 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 my viewpoint is, you let people know, you give them the opportunity. If they don't want to, if they don't want to participate, that's fine. But you shouldn't let one person that's afraid of being recorded stop the stuff from being made available to everybody else that wants to download. Oh no, we, we uh, I have recordings yeah. going back to two thousand eight for this meeting. Yeah, right, right. In my so, files. Yeah, and, and it's nice to have them and stuff. So you know. And, oh yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, thanks. I hope y'all y'all have a good meeting. You're you're the host, Evan. So thank you, Ellen. Yeah, right. and, and I'll send you the the recording as soon as I get Excellent. it. So, all right, all thanks. Right. Take care. All right, bye bye. All righty, well. Okay, guys. Alan Lemley has left the meeting. All right. Um, well, 2021 is here. We've had a semi. We've had a semi tradition, uh, which I don't know how it started exactly. Which is probably the way with a lot of traditions of Roger going first. You want to do that, Roger? Or I may as well. The okay. way it got, the way it got started was that when we were using the Talking Communities um, the, uh, software, it was really hard for me to tell when the discussion of one book ended and another one began, so I didn't know when to jump in. So to um, make sure that I got mine in, I tried to jump in the very first thing. And uh, that's not quite so important with Zoom. Anyway, this month I bring you Alternating Currents by Frederick Pohl. It is an anthology. The edition I got from Bookshare was published in 1969, but that was a reprint of the same anthology that was published in 1956, I believe. And all of the stories in it, were published in various science fiction magazines shortly before 1956 that uh, 
probably um, about 1950 to 55 or so, that would place them in the golden age. They are not quite so old that they are unsophisticated. They're pretty sophisticated stories. Um, but they're a little bit of early science fictional naivete shows through too. Um, I think the most notable story, at least the one I enjoyed most, was Let the Ants Try, in which uh, the scientists, first they seem to bioengineer ants so that they are capable of growing very large, well, and not individually, but they could evolve very well. There's, there's certain things about the morphology of insects that keep them from getting very big. For one thing, they don't even have lungs, but they give these ants lungs, and then they want to give them a chance to evolve and see what happens. They travel back in time. They use a time machine to travel back 40 million years and turn um, a couple of colonies of these bioengineered ants loose. And the idea is, I believe one of the scientists says that he knows that humans have their own families, but may be in rivalry with other families. They have their own cities, but find themselves in conflict with other cities, and they have their own nations, but they're always fighting with other nations. He figures that he's going to give humanity a real chance to advance by having intelligent ants evolve along with them. <clears throat> and then they will have the ants to oppose and all humanity will be united. Doesn't quite work out that way though. Once these two guys travel back to the present, they in fact do find out that we have human sized ants that don't look entirely like ants because they have evolved quite a bit. They have cities, civilization, and all of that. <clears throat> but it looks like their very presence has caused humanity not to have evolved. And from the point of view of these humans who find themselves in the middle of an ant city, this is a nightmare world. One of them gets killed, and the other one manages to... By the way, the time machine was disassembled, but the ants want him to reassemble it, and he manages to do that, and before they can take any other action, he hops into it and travels back 40 million years ago, again, to stop himself. Uh, it oh, boy. doesn't quite work out that way, though, because the ants even though he took the time machine away from them, they were able to examine it closely enough to figure out how it worked, and they were able to build their own, and they show up at about the same time in the past that he shows up, and, well, there are consequences. Now, I'm going to say something about the naivete, a science fictional naivete I mentioned. For one thing, I don't think Frederick Pohl knew anything about paleontology. For one thing, he's going back to the time of the dinosaurs, 40 million years ago. Well, dinosaurs were already extinct for about 20 to 25 million years by then. Yep. Furthermore, he describes his surroundings when they land 40 million years ago, and Frankly, it's, well, it's, he's describing mostly the vegetation, and it really sounds like vegetation from a time well before dinosaurs ever evolved, really. So I don't think he really knows his paleontology that well. But in any case, there are other stories in the book um, matching the descriptions of them with the titles of the stories, at, well, those associations are going right out of my head right now, but there is at least one in which um, people are, I guess you would say they are captured and 
put in a situation where they can't move and can't escape, but they are made to watch advertising. Um, and while their brains are examined, and by the way, the brains of dead people are hooked up too, and they can revive enough of the um, function of the dead brains to um, to see how they react. And the whole idea is to oh, tell how people react to certain kind of advertising so they can use just the right advertising that will sell their products best. And that's another nightmare world. And... Oh, good grief. There was another one I was going to tell you about. That actually that actually doesn't sound all that far off now. Yeah, really. <laughs> no. There was another one about advertising I was going to tell you too, but and I had it ready just before I logged in here and that one escapes my mind right now. But in any case, um I got this from Bookshare. Um it was classified as in good condition. It's pretty readable, but I made a quality report on it anyway. And Bookshare tells me they're going to rescan it. So look forward to the rescan. But if you're anxious to get to it, get it now. It's still readable. And oh, I guess I'll leave it at that then. What's the title again? So Alternating sure. Currents by Alternating Frederick Currents. Pohl. Right. He was a pillar. I don't know how old, you know, if he's still alive or not. Uh, I think he. I don't think so. He'd be pretty old now. Yeah, he would. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think he's still alive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Frederick Pohl. Um, I really, um, I mean, I've read some of his books. Uh, actually, The Space Merchants, this, this story about advertising is kind of. That was one of his uh, big interests because the Spates Merchants was about, I don't remember if it was directly about advertising, but it had a lot to do with corporate skullduggery and the excesses of capitalism, I guess you might say. Um, it was kind of satirical, uh, but it was definitely uh, attacking you know, big corporations. And this was in the 50s when, of course, that wasn't as fashionable as it is, you know, it became later. Um, but it's a classic that he wrote with C.L. Kornbluth, C.M. Um, anyway. Um, I just well, checked and Frederick Pohl died in 2013 at the age oh, of 93. Uh, wow. He wrote, uh, he wrote the, the book Gem, which I found one of the most depressing books I've ever read, I think. Um, and we did it, actually did it for the club years ago. And it was about. Uh, I won't go into it in detail, but it's about humanity. They they wreck this world and they find another one and they found aliens on it and they start abusing the aliens. And it's, it's like, isn't that just the way it might be? Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It really is, you know, it was really uh, kind of mm. depressing. Anyway, um, Liz, you haven't been here for a little while. Oh. Have you? I, th I, thought, <laughs> I you? thought I had been. Uh, yeah, she has. Yeah. Okay, well. Just that I'm so memorable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I okay. probably, um, well, I don't know. Last well, month. It's okay, no problem. I mean, I've been in a bit of a shock. Um, so I don't remember everything that happened last month. Um, That's okay. So, um, well, do you want to talk about something? Oh, I'm sure. You know, I was going through my queue of books of things that have been there and I wanted to get rid of, and I found one. Um, it's probably an older book. Um, it's called Eight Days. Um, it's an integer, Eight Days, okay? Um, and it's by Barry, B-A-R-R-I-L Bumgarner, B-U-M-G-A-R-N-E-R. It is a Bard book, and it is a DBC 06428. Oh, that's one of the regional library productions. Exactly. It's, it's a regional library. Um, but it's kind of a young adult science fiction set in the not-too-distant future. Um, and it starts off by giving you the backstories of these four um, kind of 
prodigy scientists that have been recruited by a government agency that's developing chemical warfare. And you get the backstories on these four and you find out that they have a lot of um, deep-seated resentment of immigrants and uh, white, they're white supremacists and um, they hook up in this agency and they decide that what they're going to do is they are going to cleanse humanity by developing these chemicals and releasing them over a period of eight days mm. uh, of cities throughout the world. And um, they are able to get this thing set, you know, set in motion before the people above them who recruited them, because they're very bright, of course, they're geniuses, the evil geniuses. Um, they set it in motion, and of course, immediately, most of the world's population is, is wiped out. Um, of those that survive, a good percentage of them um, have such mental illness and disease as a result of the chemicals um, that they have to be dealt with. And of the few that are left, um, you know, they're just kind of, uh, they're, they're basically left to rebuild um, humanity. Um, the central character in this book is a little eight-year-old girl named Jessica, and she and her dad were on a, like a weekend holiday. Um, a mom had left the scene several years before that, so dad was a single dad, and um, they were away from their home when the chemical attacks happened. Of course, dad died, so this little girl's on her own, but she gets, she's a very bright little girl. Um, you know, she was, yeah, she's just really a very bright, clever little kid and resourceful. Her dad taught her how to be really self-reliant and take, you know, take care of herself. And she gets a call from this guy who was her mother's boyfriend, if you will. And she's never met him, but he calls her to find out if her mother's there because he can't find her mother. And it's assumed that her mom died in the initial attack. Anyway, so she makes her way using bicycles back home. She's not that far from her home, um, but she hooks up with a boy that's about five years older than she is, maybe six. Um, and he is an African-American kid. And of course, he's lost everybody too. And the two of them really become dependent on each other. And they, they, they kind of hang out. They form this brother-sister relationship. Um, and in the meantime, there is somebody who has been running a radio station that, um, you know, is just playing old music and, you know, telling people, look, if you're still out there, if anybody's still out there, there's a group of us um, gathering at such and such city. Um, and, you know, please try to make your way. You know, we're just trying to, to let you know that you're not alone and join us. So they, 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 they uh, through, you know, various, <laughs> over time, the group gathers in the city um, and they kind of take stock of their situation. Um, and they form a really, what I think is a real cooperative um, environment where people pitch in as they can. They deal with the hard situations of having to deal with the mentally ill and, and deal with them in a humane way and taking care, you know, cleaning out all the buildings in the area of the dead and re-inhabiting them and just trying to start over as best they can. Um, and the other front here is the four genius, the four evil geniuses. Um, they eventually are taken into custody by the government and um, it, it builds and, and builds. And, and so they start making their way and there's, it's a, it ends up in a uh, battle of the good versus the evil. And it all ends up pretty well, actually. And, and, and the book ends, what I really like the book ends. Okay. The couple things that I really like about this book Um First of all, all of the technology isn't destroyed. So they don't, I mean, it's not like most of the dystopian novels where, you know, everything's wiped out and you, you know, you're basically sent back to the, you know, 18th century, 19th century. So they still have some technology to work with. Um, although a lot of the infrastructure is damaged, of course. <laughs> um, but I like it that the book ends 60 years into the future. And 
with Jessica. And basically what had happened was Jessica was meticulously documenting and diarying, if that's a word, you know, writing in her diary, all of the events. and Journal. Pardon? Yeah, that's it. Journaling. 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 Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, journaling. She was journaling very meticulously throughout this entire (laughs) time. And it ended um, with her as an old lady with her grandchildren, and they were all going to the premiere of the feature movie that was based on her journals of the before times. And, uh, you know, you just had a real sense that it was going to, it was going to take some time. You know, humanity was still suffering. They were still trying to rebuild the population. Uh, But you had a sense that, that because of the efforts of these few people that did survive, um, that it was going to work out. And, you know, so it was finally a dystopian novel that has a happy ending. Um, I also, I, I thought it was really funny. Um, you know, it, the dialogue was good. Um, it was, it was uh, you know, back and forth, uh, a little snarky. I like that. <laughs> but um, some of the people who survived all of this did not know it, but realized it that um, because of the the lack of competition in the air with all the cell phone towers and you know all the all the other people around and the way the brain waves were they were they basically discovered they were telepathic and they were until they were while they were discovering this you know somebody would be thinking something and somebody would say how dare you say that about me or what did you say I heard you say I didn't say anything. So, so some of the funny things that happened as a result as they were discovering that, you know, I think there's many of us who have kind of a heightened sense of awareness of the emotions of other people and the thoughts. Well, their, the premise was is that because the airways were now so clear of most of that chatter and clutter that they were actually able to hone in and, and really be more respect, receptive to each other. So, um but I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a, you know, kind of a, a, a light read. It wasn't anything really heavy. It's like fourteen hours and some change. Um, a light read. Yeah. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Compared to some I've tried to read. I mean, in terms of it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, we're about exterminated, and we're. <laughs> well, for me, that's a good. Time. But we survived. <laughs> no, what I liked about it, it was it was not bogged down in a lot of technology and a lot of you know um, some some books get for me real heavy into super scientific language that sometimes I I find a little bit confusing because I'm I'm a social science person so. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a. I'm hey, you not know, a, there's a lot of big data going into social sciences now. Because there's yeah. all kinds of data about people, and people are starting to. The Economist had an article uh, a couple of weeks ago about data, big data coming into the humanities and analyzing all the the whole body of work of somebody with the computer and seeing all kinds of patterns. And never mind, I, I shouldn't digress too much. But no, anyway, that's okay. What, what, what was the title of that book again? It's called Eight Days. And it's eight it's days. it's eight. It's the number eight. It's not spelled out. It's the numeral. Now, where'd you get that? From Bard. Yeah. From Bard. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. yeah, it's the DBC. Now, this my memory is not failing me on this one. And you were you out singing last month, or did they cancel all that? Singing? Oh no, no. It's been a very very quiet year. Because you usually do that every. December. Yeah, I, yeah, well, hmm. So, no hopefully this year. No church choir, no anything. I had to cancel my Christmas party. You know. Oh, dear. I mean, well, it's, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a book you want to tell us about that let you well, escape I all did. of that? And I, I, I am going to uh, give a um, disclaimer before I tell you what I've been reading, because um, not only is the world going to hell in a handbasket, um, but what with the, co- the COVID and the politics and things going on in my life, all I want to read now is 
fluff. I just want to read escape literature. I want to be entertained. I don't want to have to think about anything. Thank you very much. So that's my disclaimer. And what I have to tell you is that I read Partnership by Anne McCaffrey. Okay. A big and name. It is part of the uh, Brain and Brawn series. Um, and it's about a, um, a, uh, a spaceship with a uh, human brain as the controller. I don't know if you're familiar with this particular series of Anne McCaffrey's, but um, she's new to this um, relationship with the ship and everything. And she needs to find a brawn, um, in other words, a, a human being who is going to be her arms and legs and, you know, all that. Um, so she does one mission on her own and she does very well. And um, it's the story of how she grows as a um, brain ship. And it's, it's interesting in that, you know, the science is, um, is interesting that they were able to take a human brain and um, modify it so that it could be used as the basis for a ship computer. Email. And the body of the person um, was kept alive, um, but since the, it was, um, you know, disabled in so many ways, uh, the main thing was to keep the brain alive so that it could continue for very many years and, and um, do good work. So, um, as I say, it's the story of how this ship grows and becomes uh, and has a relationship with this, this guy that she um, chooses as her brawn. And... Um, it's a it's a sort of a character study, which makes it interesting, as well as as the science fiction technology. So, but it's it's fluff. I mean, it's it's YA. It's fluff. It was entertaining, and I enjoyed it. Do they have any adventures? I mean, do they have a conflict? Oh yeah, with anybody oh yeah. Or? They had adventures, and they they saved a bunch of people, and they and they mm -hmm. you know uh, saved a government or two, and. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. And now that's on Bard too, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Well. Yeah, Anne McCaffrey's a big name. She's written a lot. I don't know if she's still alive either, is she? No. I think uh -huh. she died uh, three, four years ago. I think. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, Martin. Yes. Okay, I read uh, another book by Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson called New York 2140. Oh, that's a big, that's gotten a lot of uh, publicity. A lot of people liked it, uh, talked about it. Um, very respected. Obviously, he has been for many years, but so go ahead. I'm sorry. It was... At the beginning, I found it a little bit difficult because he starts out, it, well, first of all, it describes New York. The sea level has written has risen about 50 feet, so large uh, large portions, portions of New York are underwater. And they get around mostly by boats in different parts of the city. And it has a series of, of characters who all live uh, in, in, in this one high-rise building. And it starts off with with these two guys named, um, let me see, what is it called now? Mutt and Jeff, who are <laughs> analyzed, analyze, you know, they're financial wizards, and it gets, it bogs down on a lot of details of finances and stuff. And then it, but then they ship to other characters, like the caretaker of the building is like, is, is a very interesting person from, from Eastern Europe, and it describes how he goes around protecting the building from the rise of water and things like that. And then there's a, 
a, a variety of, of pe people. There's a police chief and and everything. So there, so you have it jumps from character to character throughout the book. It gives different focuses on how they live and what they do. The Jeff and Mutt got kidnapped, and, and <laughs> apparently he and um, Jeff was a, was a real skilled um, financial you know manipulator of the markets and everything. And he added, he antagonized someone. So they got kidnapped and they were put in an underwater container at the bottom of one of the canals for a while. <laughs> so that was rather funny. And uh, so one of the big events of the book, there's a big hurricane that comes and it really lays waste to the city again. And Central Park has to be uh, used as a, as a, a camping ground for all the survivors. And one of the people in the building is a police chief and describes her life, how she goes around you know, trying to put order and everything. So as I said, in the beginning, I found it a little difficult, but once I got into it, it was very interesting. And, and the reader, you know, the, the, the narrators are several different narrators that take the different parts of the different characters. Oh, those are good. So it was a good, it, it turned out to be a pretty good book. A little long, I think about 21, 22 hours from Bard, but it, it, it was an interesting, Thanks. you know, idea of what, what the future could be if, if if the oceans rise to that level. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, go ahead. Let me say something about this. Um, I have not read that book myself, but there is a member of the uh, Blind Democracy list who is also a member of the DB Review list who has read it, and she said that almost everybody on the DB Review list to have read it miss a very important point and that is that it is a that the book is actually a satire of current politics and social um social matters and stuff like that and almost everybody was missing that uh would you say that 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 is true that it's a satire of modern day modern day social situations well, there is one of the, one of the lady one of the characters runs for goes to Washington to, rep, to become you know representative in Congress. So from that point, it, it could be. I, I really didn't pick up on that, but uh, you know that you mentioned it is possible. As I say, there's it's so complex that it probably be worth rereading again to pick up all the nuances of the book. He tends to like a lot of info dumps. Uh, he's he obviously does a lot of research and he throws a lot of it into his books. But I heard him on a radio interview and he didn't mention anything satirical. He did mention though that it wasn't entirely a hope. You know, it was hopeful. He still it still had a hopeful side to it. It wasn't a completely dystopian book. Exactly right. I mean, the people uh, you know live their lives. There's one very kooky lady in there who went around say trying to say that or she she. She had a blimp and she went all over the world and she reported on live on TV about trying to save animals. Like she had some polar bears who got loose in her ship. She was taken to the to put them in Antarctica. And so this so that some of the characters were there was two there's these two boys who try to look for they, they found this old man who had a great knowledge of maps of New York and they went down on a diving bell to try to discover treasure in the bottom of some of the canals almost drowned. So it's quite an interesting variety of, of people in the book. Hmm. Hmm. But it could well have been satirical as well as science fictional. He is, he's obviously very erudite and smart and he could have done both at the same time. I mean, it's not the first time. Um, as I oh. said, the space merchants, you know, the classic SF novel that mm -hmm. I mentioned was uh, satirical and science fictional at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so it could well be. I have not read it myself. Um, um, I just don't know if I want to face a book like that, given all that's going on right now. Um, I uh, agree with Anne to some extent. Um, I kind of want to read, if it may, not necessarily fluff, but stuff that's fairly removed from uh, mm -hmm. reality or that could be real or well science fiction could be real i don't read fantasy anymore but if it's re if it's science fiction i want it to be far away um i agree i agree i um actually i haven't been reading all fluff i i uh, 
just finished a wonderful historical trilogy uh, written by a guy named Christian Jock. And I believe this is a uh, audible book uh, or audible series. And it's all about a judge in ancient Egypt. And it's really great. And, and it's not fluff. So I'm not reading all fluff, but I'm reading stuff that is totally removed from modern day the United States. Well, let's see. Uh, last summer, let's see, suggested we've read 150 books together so far. I keep a list. Uh, she suggested last uh, summer or uh, late last spring or early summer that we read a book about a pandemic. I said, that's the last thing I want to read. <laughs> that's the very last thing I want to read. So, um, okay, Sherry. I read a book by a classic author, Arthur oh. C. Clarke's oh, yeah. The Light of Other Days. Oh, no. That one and, I don't remember very well, so you might have to... You know, well, it, I, you know, it's funny. I read it about three or four weeks ago, and I had to look at my notes to remember what it was about myself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, not one of his best works. Though. So I guess that kind of says a lot. I, I thought it was good, but not great. It's about a guy who develops a wormhole, and he uses a wormhole camera to buy and get news scoops and spy on movie stars sort of like the National Enquirer kind of stuff. Well oh. the FBI finds out about this technology and wants it for themselves and it gets improved upon so that you can use this to look in the past. Well the FBI uses it for a good purpose they use it to solve crimes which would be fine but then it becomes widely available in the public and the spying Ooh. on everybody starts there's oh, like 20 percent of congress that aren't going to run again because they're afraid of what people will find if they start looking too hard divorces soar as people spy on their spouses oh, no. things like that and then some people use it to go back in time to observe history there isn't any thing like change there isn't any complicated time travel here it's just an observational thing that would be I, cool yeah i thought the ending kind of dragged because and this is just me i'm not interested in 40 million years ago and people start going back and watching how the earth develops and all oh. this kind of stuff and i thought that kind of dragged i i like the sociology stuff better than the um, dinosaur and pre-dinosaur mm -hmm. stuff. Oh, dinosaurs are cool. <laughs> Come on. Well, this was almost pre-dinosaur because it was more like how the Earth developed to start oh, with and stuff. Okay. So, mm. it was it was a pretty good book. I I don't regret reading it, but I wouldn't say it was like you said, Evan, one of his best. But yeah. it was good. Yeah. Well, is Jim here? Jim, are you still here? He was here. Jim, yeah, I'm here. here. Yes, oh, I'm here. Yeah. yeah, you were, uh, I don't think you were here last month, were you? Yeah, I was, I was. Oh, okay, see, there you go. Um, um, God, I'm trying to think. Uh, the only thing, I, I really haven't, don't have a lot to bring this month. Uh, I got talking to a friend of mine that was starting to watch The Stand on CBS All Access. And it made me want to go back and reread it. So I did. I read the, uh, there's two versions on Bard. There's the original, and then there's the one that he redid. There's the um, long version and the longer version. Yes, exactly. I, yeah, I read the longer version at the beginning, like, like last, oh, about a year ago now. Yeah, in January and February, just as the pandemic was taken off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. That's that's the last thing I read, but it was uh, the one thing I kind of picked up on in the book. He he said he went back and uh, you know put in a lot of stuff that he had taken out and revised it a little bit. But the way he revised it, it it, it starts out in the 1990s, and then he starts talking about stuff and he refers back to stuff that happened in the 70s. You know, like 1975. And he said, yeah, that one that was just a few years ago. So it was right. Yeah, you know, just kind of. Funny the way he missed that stuff. So you mean he didn't revise it carefully? No, no. When he wrote it originally, it was too long. The editors, mm -hmm. you know, the publishers made him, um, well, they said it, it, it's too long to sell. 
you know, we can cut it or you can cut it. He said, I'll cut it. So that's what he did. Um, and they released the short ver shorter version in 1980. But then in 1990, he said, you know what? I'm going to release this one now. You know, the original. And he does say at the very beginning, if you've read the short version before, before you pay for this book, uh, you know, put it down if you want. But if you really want to go back and, you know, reread it, go ahead. So that's, that's what that's happened. With, uh, oh, that's what happened with Stranger in a Strange Land. It was too long. The publisher said it had, he had to cut it. Heinlein did it himself. The only, th the only thing with Stranger in a Strange Land, the only thing I really noticed about that is he shortened up some of the sentences. If you read, if you read the one that they published in 1961, and the one that he published, you know, that was published posthumously by his wife, you'll just see that the sentences, some of the sentences, are longer. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of any scenes that were in the original that were, you know, I, I couldn't think of any scenes that were in the new version that weren't in the original. Right. To some extent, yeah. I mean, he cut it so skillfully that he didn't really yeah. leave much of anything out. No, it was pretty interesting how, and because I read the second version, I mean, I read the first version a couple of times, and I read the second yeah. version one time, and I thought I knew the book pretty well, and I'm looking for, you know, differences, and I'm thinking well, there's not much difference here, even though no. you know it is a little shorter, but wow, I mean, he did a great job of cutting it. So the author, so the uh, publisher would buy it without sacrificing much of anything. Yeah, or well, from what, um, if you read the the uncut version, uh, his wife says, you know, he did all the cuts himself. Yeah, he didn't want them to touch it, which I don't blame him. No, I don't. Right, I remember I heard her, I read her preface to the, yeah. the one that was that came out afterwards. So anyway, um, well, I didn't bring much either. Um, I reread uh, Clark's Childhood's End. Uh, oh, that's not good. Yeah, it's I was been just like, thinking about that. It's been like ten years since I've read it, and I read yeah. it every several years. And I always walk mm -hmm. out, you know. I always, I mean, I, I it's it's I, I, there's a bookshare version which has a preface that he wrote that says. He doesn't really believe in psychic powers and he said he did research he helped you know he worked with some other people to do research on it and they couldn't find any evidence for it but the whole book the main per the okay i might as well go through the plot for people who yeah. haven't read it um these aliens come to earth just as um you know uh humans are about to go into space just as the almost as the moment the rocket's about to launch from earth these spaceships appear and they basically take over the governance of the earth and they're very powerful and smart and um so they basically take over uh, you know the um, some of the human governments uh you know they send a nuclear weapon and it just disappears and they don't know what to do and so they they really don't put up much of a fight so the overlords take over and but they keep themselves very hidden they don't want themselves to be seen and uh, at least for like 50 years or so, they promise they'll reveal who they really are or they'll, you know, at least, you know, show themselves in 50 or 75 years or whatever after the original human generation has died off. Um, so they finally show themselves and they look very much like well, the traditional version of the devil with the tail and the wings and, you know, I forget if they had the little horns or whatever, but uh, yeah, they look yeah. very... Huh? They do. They, they do. do. Yeah. Um, but um, so they create this utopia on Earth. Uh, really, they they kind of they let people govern themselves. But you know, there was one incident where they they stopped the bullfights in 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 Spain by making everyone in the audience feel the pain the bull was feeling. I mean, they obviously had super technology, but you know, that was way beyond Earth. Um, but so they create this utopia and um and you get some hints as to why they're doing it they never tell humanity why they're doing this you know they 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 keep their motives very secret and i'm going to spoil it because the book is like 65 years old or whatever and so um and so they finally 
they the after you know a few decades we we go into another part of the book and they're new characters and they're at this party and they see this one of the overlords reading you know all these books about mysticism and and um psychic powers and stuff and uh because they uh they're having this party at this guy's house who has the biggest collection in the world of all this stuff um and they have this ouija board party and the woman, one of the women, one of the men there asks, what star is the overlord's son? And one of the women faints, but the Ouija board spells out the name of the star. Uh, and so the overlords, uh, well, I'll explain that in a second. So anyway, um, pretty soon they set up this colony, this art colony where they, they want to be at the cutting edge of human evolution and stuff. And, and this guy and his wife, um, Jennifer, um, uh, move there and they have children and their youngest son starts having these strange dreams about these distant stars and strange planets and stuff and their little girl who's younger starts having strange tele telekinetic powers and stuff and they finally go to the overlords to find out what's going on because they have no idea what to do and he explains to them that um their, your children are changing. They're not going to be yours much longer. But there's nothing they can do about it. They're just here to shepherd this transition of humanity. Then the main overlord, Corellan, gives a big speech on the radio, on the radios everywhere, and explains how, you know, humans called them the overlords, but they are just the servants of, a, of something they call the overmind, which tells them where to go and what to do. And they have no mental telekinetic or telepathic powers themselves but they serve this overmind and it absorbs all the you know it, it 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 connects with all the children on earth but people on over 12 don't don't uh, aren't affected oh. and most of the, just about everybody under 12 is affected and basically what happens is that they move all these children to australia to protect them and to protect people from them because they use these powers and you know they're not always you know they may not be safe around adults especially adults that are finally getting hysterical about losing their children and and so on and so uh, the, the original human generation dies out and just the children remain and there's a subplot because what we see and Clark did this because I think it will so he could show us what happens at the end uh, one of the guys at, at Rupert's party, the party where the Overlord was at and where the Overlord's main star was revealed, manages to stow away aboard the Overlord's ship that goes back to their home world. That's all interesting all by itself because he, you get to see one of the, you know, the Overlord's world and how they live. And so he comes back in about 80 years. And all, the only people left on Earth are these children who are completely molded you know they're they're not separate their faces don't even look blank they look like even more than blank um and so he lives there for a few years and he talks to the overlords about you know what you know what they do and you know why why they do you know why they're the servants and they they keep trying part of the story is about the overlords because they cannot they can never evolve beyond what they are but humanity can, even though it's a tragedy. So it's kind of a tragedy and it's kind of a, uh, awesome at the same time. So it's, it's very poignant. But anyway, the children finally are united with the overmind and they, and the earth gets destroyed as they fly off. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not describing it as well as the book does, but Anyway, and Jan Roderick's Jan, he's the name the name of the guy who stowed away on the Overlord ship. He gets to describe he describes it, but he says he doesn't want to go. The Overlords offered to take them with them when they left because they knew what was going to happen uh, when the moon started turning on its axis. That was a that was kind of a, a vivid. I always remembered that from the first time I read it because he's looking up at the moon and he notices that the moon has turned you know its face part way. And if you're used to looking at the moon and you notice the face is turned, that would give you a chill. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so the overlords know it's time for them to go. 
Uh, and they offer to take him with them. And he says he will stay here and see out the end of the earth or whatever happens because they don't know that's what's going to happen. But so anyway, uh, that is Childhood's End, one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, and I decided to read it because I hadn't read it for a long time. And I just I yeah. really enjoy it. I really I remember reading that right after right after I read Door into Summer. I got them at the same time. They were both on mm -hmm. cassettes uh, mm -hmm. back in the 70, 74. And I, yep. you know, I remember that book because I read Door in the Summer, Door into Summer, right before it. <laughs> yeah, they had a cassette volunteer reader for that who was a woman, yes. and then yes. they redid it with John Stratton, who was great. I mean, John Stratton was great, but yeah. I don't even know what happened to those original cassettes. Uh, that she was very no. good at reading uh, the book, but I just thought it's not something I'd like to see. But nevertheless, I thought it was just a fantastic book. Even it's, though it's, it's not, like I would, th I wouldn't that, want yeah. things to turn out that way. But no, no. Um, but I thought it was a great book. Anyway, I remember you recommended that a long time ago when we came up with a people's favorites list it's on my face yeah we posted yeah. those on them it's on my favorites list yep yep i read it after um, your recommendation it was quite it is quite good so um but he was just very cosmic all at the time that's about the same time he wrote the city and the stars you know that takes like one billion it takes place like one billion years in the future that's another one of my favorite books um that's that's another fan. It's, it's, you know, I, and when you read these when you're like 12 or 13, I mean, they make a really hey. long lasting impression on yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're just dazzlingly great. Um, I remember hold up really well still, too, even though Clark says, you know, in the preface to the bookshare version that he doesn't really believe. That's why, if you notice at the beginning of Childhood's End, he says the opinions expressed are not those of the author. So I'm not sure why he did it. But he huh. did it, and he did a great job with it. But I'm not—I've mm. never been sure why he did it. Um, anyway, that's my book, and I think that's there's nobody choice. left. What's that? Jim? That's a good choice. You know, yeah, I, it was a good choice. I'm book. scanning some stuff for books here, but I won't mention that because it'll be a while before it gets up there because I have to read it first. Uh, I got some science fiction. I got some Amazon Christmas money, so huh. spending money on books. Mm -hmm. um anyhow um well i guess uh, i should say that the the next meeting of the science fiction club will be on february 11th 2021 